as chefs and in our industry, you don't get to eat. It's gobble and go. You know, you're finding bread or chips or something, whatever's lying around, and you never eat properly because you, you're constantly on this adrenaline rush. You're in fight or flight mode. There needs to be a shift for the women. I want to say that you need to be strong and don't be afraid to voice. Don't be silenced, you know, um, voice your opinion because you don't know who else you'll be helping. If you can create a, an environment where people feel safe to be vulnerable, you'll get less people not wanting to come to work and people calling in sick. Only 17% of hospitality workers said that they would feel comfortable talking to their employer about mental health. And one of my friends said to me the other day, she said, stop being so hard on your body. Don't talk to your body like that. Look at what it's got you through in life. Be gentle with yourself. What a blast to have you here at my podcast, People Not Numbers. If you are a professional who seeks to improve your employee, customer or audience engagement, this podcast is for you. In each episode, you will meet inspiring people who will encourage you to try new things, have more ideas and grow. I'm your host, Joe Sejan, a French-Lebanese entrepreneur and founder of Eleven, the People Engagement Network. For us, one plus one equals 11. We wake up in the morning to help you achieve deep levels of engagement with your employees, customers and audiences and take your business to new levels of performance. Bienvenue to the podcast. All right. Halima, we're on. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very happy, uh, Halima, to, to have you uh, with me today on the show. Um Welcome everybody. Uh, you are going to, to have a great moment with us. I know it from now because um, I'm about to start a conversation with someone I, I love, uh, Halima Ferreira. Uh, not just Halima Ferreira, Chef Halima Ferreira. Uh, you know, Halima, the passion that I have for this uh, profession, the deep admiration that I have for people who work, generally speaking, on the front line for people who work um, to our service and um, this industry of, uh, of restaurants, this industry of uh, chefs that start with the more modest uh, steward to the most famous chef uh, in the world is an industry that feeds my, um, my dreams, my soul. Uh, I've never worked into it properly except a few days uh, Uh, with chef Frédéric Robichon. Frédéric, we say hi. Yeah. Uh, where I spent uh, one week in the kitchen and one week in the, um, in the restaurant itself. Uh, but for me, I really wanted to have, and you are my first chef on this show, and I know that I will have more chefs, but I wanted to have this, um, this conversation with you, uh, Halima, because, um, because of things that are not working right in this industry. It's not all black and white, but there are things that we, we need to talk about. And because I want to hopefully uh, have a lot of people working in this industry to listen to this show and to feel that there is a way to stay engaged. There is a way to stay enthusiastic and to grow healthy in this profession, um, provided we pay attention to um, a few things. So before I ask you to introduce yourself, Halima, I want to ask you one question that I like to ask to all my guests, 
And this is, if you can uh, remember, recall for us, one of your biggest emotions in uh, the context of your career. I think I would go with passion. Okay. Because well, without that, yeah. you know, it's a game changer, right? If you have passion, you've got motivation to move forward. Mm. You've got motivation to lift yourself up and carry on. So I'm very much a, I want to say a self-motivator. I do a lot mm. of personal development. And I'm also very grateful that I have a support network that, you know, helps me with that. But the passion comes from without the passion to move forward and want to make changes or become a better human being. I don't think you can move forward. I think that's a very important thing. It ignites something inside of you. Mm, that's fantastic. And so, Halima, we're going to talk about a lot of topics today. Um, I mean, mostly mental health of the chefs. Uh, not only the chefs, but the chefs are, you know, a cornerstone in this industry. Um, and why is it a difficult topic and what can be done? So we're going to talk about Burn Chef. You're an ambassador of Burn Chef. Uh, I would also like to talk about plant-based nutrition uh, because I'm, I'm not very uh, familiar to it. I should be, but I'm not that familiar to it. Also um, about um, food in the context of um, healing. Medicine. And and, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so these things are, are, are things that I would like to talk about. But before anything, Halima, would you uh, please introduce yourself the way you want? And we'll take it from there. Okay. Thank you, Joe. I guess the best way to describe myself is I'm a global citizen. My journey started off in Southern Africa, uh, where I grew up. I trained out in, in South Africa. Um, I went to an amazing school. I had some of the best Cape wine masters, um, you know, teach me. It, it was phenomenal. I then came over to Europe and I started, my journey started at the bottom. I came to England and it was different, you know, obviously education, etc. So I started from sweeping floors in a bakery, you know, all kinds of crazy times at night. I worked my way from the Savoy's, the Hilton's, the Michelin star restaurants in London, got myself onto cruise ships for about five years. So traveled all over the world, um, got into private yachts after that, you know, just experiencing uh, summers in the Mediterranean, running uh, villas and, you know, just getting used to having private clients, different private clients over the summer. And then eventually worked my way up to working for, you know, royalty and some of the richest mm. people in the world. So, but in between that, it's been quite a journey of, you know, there's been good and bad. There's been a lot of different things that have happened, especially being a female in the industry. Hmm. So, you know, I have diversified. I've, um, I've been a chef for 21 years and recently just decided to transition and we'll speak more about this and what the Burn Chef project has meant to me and why I'd like to move more into operations, having known what the back of house is, um, studying plant-based nutrition, because as chefs and in our industry, you don't get to eat. It's gobble and go. You know, you're finding bread or chips or something, whatever's lying around, and you never eat properly because you, you, you're constantly on this adrenaline rush. You're in fight or flight mode constantly. And then when you do want to eat, it's probably at midnight and you don't really want to eat a good meal. You tend to want to eat just junk or whatever's easy, something with bread, a sandwich, and, you know, and it's very unhealthy. So, 
Yeah. There's a whole circle that we just thought was normal, right? So from that, I've, I've constantly studied throughout my career, especially over the last five years, and then the plant-based nutrition, detox and toxicology, which I'm still um, going through at the moment, and um, focusing on food as medicine, healing foods for anti-inflammatory, because um, my career, as much as I've loved it, has caused uh, me to have two autoimmune conditions. Ooh. So, yeah. And this is the impetus of change where I love what I do in hospitality, but how could I make a change and make an impact? I think that's the thing about my career. I want to make an impact with what I learn to train and educate a generation um, to make things better. Um, you know, um, and, and, and before we go to the core of, uh, of, of what is tickling my curiosity, there is, there is, Even at the source of that, a question that is burning um, is burning inside me. Okay, I'm starting the recording again. You will probably have noticed that something happened when I was talking. Uh, my Zoom crashed in the middle of the... <laughs> this is the second yeah. time it happens. It already happened with uh, Lori Hormuz. So it seems that it's going to happen uh, more and more, but we'll we'll um, we'll adapt to that right um so yeah in this introduction that you've done um halima the, the question that i have in, in myself and that is burning in me is what attracted you to this profession how does a woman in south africa end up um you know choosing to cook professionally to be honest joe i come from a portuguese family and you know it's one of those where women are in the kitchen and food, right? And I hated it as a child. I absolutely, <laughs> oh, you absolutely hated it. I did everything to be out with my father and do things and boats and water and anything. Mm. Um, and in fact, my father wanted me to become an engineer. <laughs> um, that was one thing I think he wished for me. Mm. But it was one of those where I took a gap year when I finished high school, when I graduated and um, I went to business school. I hated it. I, you know, I got through a a couple of years and I, I, I was just like, well, I'm, I'm not really enjoying this. Um, so I took a gap year and went to the States and I went out for two years to work and travel. And alongside my journey, it made sense. It was just one of the jobs that I had out there. Um, and I needed to learn how to cook. It was something that I, I was like, oh, well, maybe let me pick up a cooking course. So I traveled to Vermont to the New England Culinary Institute. Mm. Um, it's a beautiful school, one of the best schools in America. And I fell in love with, you know, it was, they had their own bakery. They had, it was the way the school was set up. It was fan absolutely fantastic. And then there was a chef segmenting a grapefruit. And I know it sounds so silly today, but I was watching through the glass, you know, as I was taking a tour of the school and um, he was segmenting it with such. So sorry, th this was in the US. In the US, yeah. So you were already well, I mean, traveled. I would say even at, oh, the, at the younger yeah, age. I've always traveled. Absolutely. Okay. And always. so this chef was segmenting. Uh, so what is segmenting a, a grape? It's cutting it. Is what? What is so it? So when you peel the grapefruit and then you take the little parts of it. So you'll probably see it in fruit salads and things. So you get mm -hmm. rid of all the. It's it's literally the segment. So it's taking out the segments of the fruit and then you squeeze the juice out. Um, so it's quite a delicate little process, but I just. That was the one thing I'd, I've always remembered. And I was like, oh, wow, I'd like to learn how to do that. And I mean, today it's something I do, you know, 
without even thinking about it. Um, and then I went back to South Africa and my father said to me, right, you know, you've been a bit of a gypsy for like a couple of years. He says, this is the last chance I'm giving you. Choose whatever school, whatever you want to do. And this is the last time I will pay for you. But I want you to do something with your life. And I, I was in my 20s, early 20s. I was about 21, 22. Mm. And, um, you know, he he'd obviously missed me for a couple of years and said, well, you know, my daughter's a bit of a, I'm very much an explorer. Um, I think it's the Portuguese genes, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going back a long, long number of years. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was it. And that's kind of how I went back to South Africa and I found a school um, that it was a year and a half, I think, that I could do three years in a year and a half. And it was tough, but I graduated top of my uh, top of my class. I actually got offered a, a job by the president at the time was Tabo Mbeki and uh, one of his chefs there. But unfortunately, because of some of the political reasons, my paperwork disappeared. So I had to come to Europe and lucky, you know, I had the passport to be able to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So there was, it, it wasn't an easy time to just say, I mean, South Africa is phenomenal for food, restaurants, you know, it's a complex culture of cuisine and I do miss it. it it's always the mama land for me. Mm. Um, but coming to Europe was kind of a kick up my backside, if I can be honest, to just say, you know, you need to go out there. You need to go and learn what life is really about and get some experience and exposure. And I literally started from the bottom when I came to England. Um, I this, is, this is something that we're going to talk about for sure. But before that, so you've done this school in one year and a half instead yeah. of three, right? I mean, it was some kind of a curriculum of... I would imagine high intensity where you graduate in one and a half years, the equivalent of a three years, um, you know, professional qualification. Yeah. So it seems that already at the stage of the school, you are immediately, uh, I would say, uh, how, how do you say, educated? Yeah, you're thrown yeah. into this is the way it is, the high intensity. Yes, 16. So you'd be at college and you'd study and then you're still doing an apprenticeship. Um, and I remember doing 16 hour days. But then there's another change and another story to that. You know, that's when the drugs come in. That's when, you know, all those parts come into the industry when you think this is normal. When, you know, your head chef is walking out at four o'clock in the afternoon, you're in Cape Town and he's going to go and do a line of coke so he can come back and do the rest of the night. You know, so I've seen it all, but this is, this was just like a norm. This was like how it was, you know, it, it was back in the day and this is how all the chefs did it. So it didn't seem, um, if anything, it was like you had to play catch up for that intensity and, you know. So, yeah, you, you have to embark, you have to embark into that. You don't have a choice. In fact, if you want to, so from the first second in this universe, in your program 16 hours a day more sometimes and you know taking drugs in order to be able to stay on your feet absolutely is something that you just have to do it's not because you're a bad person it's not because you're doing things that are illegal it's because your job requires that and it enters in your program from the first steps of the school yeah it does so, that's so the complete honesty yeah, if I can be completely right. honest, that is exactly how, you know, it's obviously changed today and there are a lot of changes, but, you know, I was trained by chefs who are, were very classical and trained under some of the most classical chefs. So, mm. 
what they were taught is what they imparted, right? This is where the change of where I am in the industry today is coming. Okay. Um, and then, so the, the, the question that I have is why, I mean, what took someone like you who ended up the first of her promotion, her, the first of her, of her year, um, what made you decide to start sweeping uh, crumbs in uh, in a bakery okay i imagine in a super palace or in a super okay fine but what made you make this decision where you could have basically used your graduation to work if not in south africa somewhere else um you know and not maybe not maybe starting you know because sorry just just to to clarify also my question i imagine that you start at the bottom when you want to work in the top yes. places because That's you it. could have chosen to work in a small restaurant a family restaurant in a and become of course not a chef but start in the in the kitchen and immediately you know um as uh, a junior yeah uh, make your way up the up the ladder so what's what drove that choice to start at the bottom in the top top place so graduating in south africa was a very different thing to coming to england england is a completely different ball game so mm -hmm. i had to start somewhere um i was new to this country um settling into the industry here learning about it um and it just happened to be where i was and i was staying with family initially um in london and there happened to be you know a bakery and they made some really interesting bread so i was trying to figure out what i didn't know at the time what kind of chef i wanted to be if that makes sense i didn't know my identity that is the best word um so i thought okay i'm gonna go and work in this really cool place that makes amazing breads and pastries and things and i started i had to start somewhere it wasn't i knew my goal was to go on the ships but while i was waiting to go on ships i had to do something so it was so uh, at, the, at the time your goal was to go on ships yeah you wanted to to travel the world yes 100 always And people laughed at me, Joe. Coming from Africa, a lot of people, even in my own family and friends, they'd be like, oh, you crazy. And, you know, we didn't have internet back in the day. Um, and I wrote to a magazine and I was like, they ships. Oh, this is something I want to do. And, you know, it was always thrown at me, I guess, you know, oh, you'll never do it. You'll never do it. And I was like, I am super determined. Um, and I did. And within three months, I went on to my first ship. And I'm still in touch with the, you know, the person who put me on, my, on all my boats. So he saw he gave me the opportunity let's just say sometimes i think it's serendipity right you meet somebody yeah. and they he could see the potential he could see the passion that i had and he was like i'm going to give you a chance but a lot of people who work in that industry have made an encounter that changed their life and this is some kind of red line that i find um it seems that you have in the profession this magical power to recognize your peers in the population somehow i mean you can recognize this unique energy that is so needed but probably also the the bias here is that you recognize the energy of people who are ready to throw their life into deep imbalance Absolutely. deep imbalance yeah. because it seems that this is still what is required if it makes sense yep no it is it, it is required of you you are I want, I like to describe the chefing world a bit like the military. So you have ranking, 
you know, there has got to be respect. You have to, you start from the bottom because to be an executive chef, a corporate chef, etc., you have to start it from the bottom. And if you look at, you know, if you go back in history on how, you know, being a commie and going into France, for example, and how I think some of the French chefs will study for seven years to become a chef, hmm. you know. So they really master this, whereas now we are getting kids out of college after a year or three years, you know, and they still don't have the same kind of skill set, you know, the guys back in the day, the dons of the chefs would have. So there's a definite sort of, um, there is respect. There's a definite respect demanded of you. You know, you coming in, you've graduated, you think you know everything, you know, students, ego, et cetera. And then you walk into a place and that, you know, your head chef will put you in your box. It's just how it is. You know, you, there's a respect level. It's yes, chef, no chef, three bags, full chef. You know, you, if, if I remember my apprenticeship before I started cooking, I was made to wash things and clean equipment and run to the laundry to get my head chef's uniform from the hotel and make him tea all day. You know, this is how it is. There was a lot of abuse in its own way, but it was what it was. That's what you knew you had to do to get up, right? And you know, you were saying that uh, when you were talking about, I'm going to go to the cruise ships, and uh, it seems that what triggered your determination beyond your natural determination was the fact that people were telling you, you won't make it. Yes. But when I'm hearing you, it seems that therefore it is something that is in the profession as well. We buck, we, we, you know, so it's fascinating already at this stage of the conversation to realize that you probably, uh, you probably not only recognize your peers in the population or in the, in, among the, the people around, because very few people would probably, uh, with consent, um, I would say make choices and decisions just because people are challenging them. So there is some kind of already I can hear some pain probably or some hurt or some bruises Absolutely. from people around you who don't believe in you Absolutely. and who tell you somehow this is the type of, uh, of energy that seems to be there. It's the motivating fact, you know, which, I came from a which very is also functional family. So joining a brigade of chefs was like a community joining uh, a different, like it's like the military, you become institutionalized, right? So I think as chefs, we are special creatures is all I want to say to you. We are temperamental. We have our, you know, creativity. We have our craziness. It, it is there, but that that's part of being like someone who paints or, you know, um, you know, the place is your canvas. However, it's, it, it does, you know, coming from dysfunction for myself anyway, I've chosen to rise above it and become a boss, you know, I was like, right, okay, I am nothing, but I'm going to work myself to something. And one day, one day that respect will come. And for myself and for my own personal achievement, um, I'm an extremely overachieving personality. I, I thrive to achieve. It's just who I am. Mm. Um, and I think that comes from taking that both my parents came from nothing. They sacrificed a lot you know, to educate me and to put me through, you know, some of the best education. So I don't take that lightly, Joe. And for me, it's like, I want to excel and bring my parents' name, you know, to glory in that sense and leave a legacy behind, you know, um, because they sacrificed a lot. 
they, you know, they, they've done that for us. So in essence, it's like, well, what am I going to do with this? I'm not just, you know, going to waste it and say I've studied and do nothing with it. I need to do something and make an impact. And I think that's the drive forward is like, well, okay, this is where I've gone to. How can we change this? How can we make this better? This was my experience. How can I maybe prevent another woman from going through some of the similar experiences or making her stronger? Um, and I think that's the driving part. And on that, because you, you just mentioned it now, so let's jump on it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's, uh, it's not line linear and structured. Being a woman, you just mentioned that. Yeah. Can you take me through what it was for you to be a woman in a vastly male-dominated male industry? Uh, we can say less today, but I mean, less coming from 100% domination. I mean, no, not 100%, but overbearing domination of uh, a male. Probably, I mean, I don't know why, first of all, why do you think it is so dominated uh, um, in presence by males? And two, what's your experience uh, of being uh, female? in this male-dominated environment? I think chefs throughout history have always generally, you've had women as cooks, right? Mm. You know, especially in some of, if, if we think like historically in some of the big homes or whatever, you would al always have had private staff or a cook or somebody like that. But then when it came to the chefs, if you look back like Antoine Carême in the days back then, you know, it was always male. It was generally a male sort of environment, you know. I think Why? the pressure, I think the pressure, the um, the hours, and you know, super unsociable. Um, and then I guess women were always left to nurture at home, right, and be the home homekeepers. And then the men were out to work. So I think you know, over time, obviously, this dynamic is changing. Um, the industry is changing, but. As a woman, with my experience, I've been through it all. I've been through the bullying, the sexual harassment. The, I mean, I've, I've been through it all, and it wasn't easy. I think sometimes when you're so young and you're coming out into the industry and you don't have someone as a mentor mm -hmm. to sort of guide you and navigate you onto this is how you do things or whatever, I think this can also be quite challenging. Um, for me, a lot of the sexual harassment actually happened on cruise ships. And I was just lucky, you know, on my second ship that I had a captain who absolutely adored me because, you know, he really put things in place. Whereas on my first cruise ship, you know, he was a senior chef to me. He was actually my supervisor and I'd walked into a fridge and he came and he groped my breasts in the middle of a fridge. And he was saying to me, you know, obviously I fought him off. And he was like, well, you know, he would make my life easier if I was like his little toy on the ship. And I was like, no way, you must be crazy. And, um, You know, you then go to your executive, you put in the complaints, but it, they make your life super difficult. And it's happened many times on many different ships with, with a lot of my executive chefs. Because I'm female, I was generally one of the only females in a brigade of 200 men. Oh. So it takes a certain kind of personality to do what, I, what I've done. Um, not a lot of women could have survived it. Um, but I think it's that you know, you, you grow this gumption, you, you grow from strength to strength. Um, and then having support to be able to report this, you know, um, I find that, you know, on the American ships, they took this very, very seriously. In comparison. So the second one, the second ship. Yeah. And, and literally, 
take us through that if you don't mind i mean because uh, it's important to understand what what happened when it was taken seriously so you know first you know straight away went to um i went straight to the captain you know with um i was being harassed by a couple of guys um from phone calls in my cabin to be followed and you know constant harassment on board and you're working with 63 different nationalities so you know it's it's quite intense um and then being the only female of course you know in the galley it, it attracts attention naturally they're like oh this girl you know so I went straight to the captain and I remember he was a Greek guy and I absolutely loved him. He, you know, he was just so superb. He listened. He put actions in place straight away where these guys were not allowed anywhere near me. If they saw me near an elevator on the ship, they were best to wait, let me go and to take the next one, you know, and, and then there was like a warning. So if you go near her, it was almost like, you know, three strikes and you're out, you know, um, and they took that very, very seriously. You get a mark on it. So life became a lot easier and it was a lot more comfortable for me to feel that I had someone, you know, behind me. Um, and also I remember it was like my senior sous chef on board and I got on very, very well. Um, and I managed to have a really great bunch of friends. So, you know, cruise ships are so small, one little story and the whole world knows about it. Right. So this made things a lot easier you know, having a little support network and also knowing that, you know, the captain of my ship and my executives were behind me on this. That made a very big difference to me. So I guess that what can we say to um, young uh, ladies who want to embark into this career? What can we say to men who are uh, chefs who are going to welcome people in their brigade, what would you say to both of them? There needs to be a shift for the women. I want to say that you need to be strong and don't be afraid to voice. Don't be silenced, you know, um, voice your opinion because you don't know who else you'll be helping. Hmm. Um, I would say you need to have a lot of emotional and personal resilience. Um, I would definitely, you know, it's, if, if I can be crude in this way, Joe, like, you know, men want to come and grope women. Right. But then it got to a point where I took my knife and I went to grope. He, I was like, you're going to grope me. Right. My knife is coming to you. You know, you've got to have that. It's almost like for women, the respect comes in when you show, show that you're a bit ballsy. You've got that gumption to be like, right. You know, if you come near me, this is going to be a problem. You know, and you need to stand up for yourself. And it's not fun to be a dragon, but sometimes the respect will come when they know because they will try. In kitchens every day, they will try. You have to be, there's there's a certain banter that happens in the kitchen. You know, there's chit chat. There's a lot of, you know, it depends how you take, in today's world, you know, there's a lot of sexual harassment in the kitchens and you've got to be careful what you say. But way back in the day, comments could be made and it wasn't really a thing, right? And hmm. it's, it's over the years. So I think educating yourself to knowing who is your support, obviously um, you've also got to feel comfortable with who your managers are. Who can you go up to? Who do you feel comfortable approaching? This is also very important. So you would, take to, you would take to, sorry, excuse me. Um, um, you would say to a female who's going to, uh, um, choose maybe to integrate the brigade pay attention to who your manager is going to be one pay attention to who your manager is who can you go to for support who do you feel comfortable approaching and speaking to also 
you know, it's always having an eyewitness or somebody that within your team that you can trust because something might happen within the team. Maybe another chef comes and he gropes you inappropriately or says something inappropriately. It needs to be documented. It needs to have two eyes are better than one set of eyes. Mm, or, okay. You know, it's so always good to have that. Um, you've got, I guess it's like having proof, right? You need yeah, to fi have finding an ally as well to, yeah. to kind of, you know, have around, even if I guess it's not always possible. You are saying to, to, to women, you need to be strong and sometimes you need to be a dragon. Mm -hmm. At the same time, uh, I mean, it, this is also the ingredient of the trap, right? There needs to be some kind of, uh, I understand that we, we want to say, okay, if you are uh, harassed, if you are uh, bullied, you need to be strong, but speak also up. you need to be able to speak. You need to be able to, to, to talk about your emotions and what happened and the pain and the, and to be vulnerable at a, at a point in time, if you want to, because otherwise you don't speak out. You say I'm a dragon and, and this is probably this, the beginning of the cycle of isolation. It, it becomes, it can be quite difficult when you have, you know, when you're young and you don't know much. And, you know, I, I saw this at a cooking show the other day. There were two young girls I came past, you know, 19, 20 kind of thing. And so innocent, you know, and so excited to embark on their careers. And I could see it and I just felt, you know, depending on where they go, depending on which side, women are always thrown into certain parts of the kitchen. Normally it's mm -hmm. pastry or cold kitchen. You know, today, you know, maybe on the grills and the hot side, but generally that was always covered by men. So, you know, and to move into that sector, the source section is always the most intense um, yeah. of sections to to run, you know, besides running the pass and the whole kitchen. But I find that, you know, I look into them and I see the passion of what they want to do in a career that they love. But now what our job is as the generations that have come before is to create the environments where, like we have the Burn Chef Project, we have support networks in place. We have people you can call anonymously. Um, you know, we have a helpline, etc. We never had this before. So wait, wait, I want to talk about the burn chef for sure. This is the right moment, but there is a question. So just to summarize, uh, of course, I guess that this is kind of a, we, we're entering into a dark description of what, what it can be in a kitchen, but I guess that, I mean, we're obviously not talking about the joys of it and it's probably not like that everywhere but if we want to be really honest and to stop uh, you know uh, uh, telling our uh, telling each other fairy tales that are not true this is a reality and we need to face it we don't need to say that everything is dark but this is a reality and it's a widespread reality as well it is not an exception it is a widespread reality so that's the first thing and yes uh, uh, I mean, female or people who are going to be bullied, but uh, let's be, let's agree as well that the target is female. Um, you are going to be uh, probably facing these situations. Be brave, show the dragon, um, find an ally, pay attention to who your manager is going to be, um, in order to to keep this innocence and this freshness, and also not to not to completely lose that in the early years of your career, um, and and also. Uh, uh, understand that there are structures like the one we're going to talk about, Burn Chef, that exist for you. 
this is something that was not existing before and for me this is so important in order to maintain the passion and the engagement um, of young people who are entering this profession because it is more demanding than other professions and it is not going to change from one day to the other but before talking about that i would like to ask you the question that i, I asked before what what do you want to say about that topic to the male who are integrating uh, and welcoming female in their brigade? The men need to be more welcoming. Definitely be more welcoming to the women who come in because they have so much talent and so much to bring. Also a balance within the ego, you know, having women and men mixed in the kitchen is a great balance, you know? So the ego, ego is always there, right? It, it's a hard thing to get rid of sometimes. It's something that we all have to learn, but I think men should embrace women a lot more. And I think it is happening. It's definitely happening. Um, some kitchens are still very stifling, but I think a lot of men that I've come to know, a lot of really good friends of mine who are male chefs really embrace the women in their kitchens. Mm. You know, it's a different eye. It's a different, you know, women do things differently, you know, mm. to men. And I think there's a nice balance to that. So I think be open and more welcoming to them because you don't know that, you know, the strength comes together. Right. And also, you know, on that fact is that, you know, women were paid differently and, um, you know, s some of the rules were different. So we know this is changing now, but, you know, in the past it's been a, a quite a struggle. So mm. I would say, you know, fight for the equality of, yeah. you know, having don't be silent, don't be silent because women are equally as creative. You know, we nurture as we have this natural ability. And I think if you embrace them together, we can be so much stronger as a community in this in this hospitality world. Um, and is it fair to say that if it's not, I mean, we start with women, but of course it's any, it's everybody. It's everybody. the guy who's slightly different. It's the um, gay. Uh, it's the. It's, I mean, it's without naming all the boxes and the different identities it's all human beings with their nuances and their complexities should be capable to contribute to this world of restaurants uh yeah. being fully expressed uh, is that what we're talking about yes yes diversity inclusion and you know um, it's not only i mean women yes we, we've had a struggle and we still feel we have a struggle but it's not only in hospitality i think it's across the board you know mm. i know some other friends that I've spoken to in different careers that because they are women and they've had other men say pushing for an executive position, they choose the man over the woman, which I think is so wrong. You know, I, I've seen so many amazing um, executive female chefs. However, I would say this, um, there's an interesting book coming out later this year, but it's standing on the shoulders of strong women and it's about power struggles, you know, and I think one thing that women need to learn when growing up in this field is, you know, there's there doesn't need to be a struggle you know between you you women working with women has always been a there's been a stigma to that as well hasn't there so we need to work and encourage each other build each other up because you are stronger together so i want to empower women to say you know work together build things together you know put your collaborative ideas together because it's powerful it's so so powerful to see what could go on But then also to some of those guys out there, I'd say, you know, I've seen the bullying and it's not only women, men go through it, you know, different mm. nationalities. And, mm. you know, I've seen it because I've traveled the world and I have seen it. And I, you know, I don't condone this at all. I think it's very cruel. Um, and yes, someone might have a disability and it doesn't mean that they're not good at what they do. Embrace that, 
I mean, Michelle Rue mentioned in uh, in a talk we had with him, you know, two weeks ago, that the lady that runs his pass, um, you know, she lip reads. And, you know, I absolutely love that. I just thought, you know, it's great to embrace people who have different, you know, different abilities. Um, and it doesn't mean because they have a certain disability that they can't do a job. They might be able to run something like clockwork and you have no idea. Give people a chance. Give people a chance. And be more empathetic and compassionate to your team. Because if you nurture your team, encourage them, you know, um, have that paternalistic leadership, you know, because you spend so much time together in a kitchen, more than you do with your own family. So they become your family. Hmm. If you nurture them, you will have a beautiful team. You know, I, that's something I have learned. I will tell you that as a woman, I've learned to be paternal and it's worked like a gem. I guess that this is also uh, a fear that chefs must have. And, and this is going to take us to the burnt, uh, to the burnt chef. Naturally, I guess that this is a fear that chefs have that, yeah, but they, we need to perform at the end of the day, the, the you know, the restaurant lives because we have clients, we have guests. If these guests don't get their plate up to the level that they are expecting it for the price that they are paying, yeah. well, uh, you know, we're going to die. So uh, I appreciate your, um, um, if I were a chef, I would probably think, you know, I appreciate your, um, your feelings. Yeah. But at the end of the day, could you please shut, shut up and, uh, and just deliver it and, and where i mean there is no balance because i was going to ask where is the balance and it's not a good question for me but is, this is a real concern as well right this comes from the top joe this is why we need to train our leaders our managers um all the way down because if your leadership knows how to train their teams and how to talk to people and gone are the days of screaming, shouting, and, you know, you're not going to get anything out of somebody. You know, for example, I had a girl in the kitchen, you know, must be about six months ago, training her up. And every time I put her fridges into place and everything was So Halima, stop uh, for, for a second. I'm really sorry. I'm having issues with my internet. It's going to come back. Yeah, it's back now. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you to, to uh, repeat what you were saying. My connection is unstable and I don't know why. This is the first time in now, now uh, 15 episodes that, is hap that it happens. But <laughs> if, you, if you're patient enough with me, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really mesmerized by what you are saying. For you to know, huh, I'm struggling to stop pause and take some notes when I'm when, when I'm hearing you speak because I could just I would love to stop noting anything just to listen to the conversation but I need to because what you're saying is fascinating so you were talking about this girl and yeah. then the sound went off I'm sorry would you mind uh, uh, taking us back there sure so I was helping her and trying to teach her you know to keep things in a certain way and mm -hmm. to be able to organized and she happened to be off and I had to go onto her section and, you know, run it. And I was absolutely furious. Not only, you know, I'm tired, I'm running a kitchen, running a team, and now I've got to pick up somebody else's mess when, you know, they're not paying attention. Of course, it's not fair. But instead of screaming and shouting, because that wouldn't have got anywhere, you know, I pulled her aside and I said to her, I would appreciate it if you left this fridge in this, you know, gave me the same courtesy I give you. It's neat and tidy when I leave it for you. 
I'd appreciate the same courtesy back. And, you know, she stepped back and she was so taken aback by, I didn't scream and shout. It was the way I said it to her. Mm. And from then on, there wasn't a problem. So I think it's knowing how to manage your teams, you know, and also understanding people that everyone has a different personality. People are going through different things. So when they walk into your kitchen, you know, they might be in a mood. It's a thing. Kitchens are, you know, very... (laughs) very fiery places and um, you need to be a bit more empathetic on what's really going on. But I also found out that this girl had a lot going on behind her. So her Mm. head was in the right place. But if I'd screamed and shouted, she would have just broken down. Right. You know, I've had it where I was running, you know, because of short staff, we, we, you know, I had my commie chef and I just had her and I was running a restaurant. There was 40 people booked. The front of house were not looking after me. They weren't stopping the checks from coming in. And I'm one person. This poor girl broke down. Hmm. She completely broke down in the middle of service. So that leaves me running a whole kitchen. You know, you can imagine that, (laughs) you know, um, I remember the general manager actually bringing some flavored vodka, you know, to help the situation because it was that intense. And, but then what happened from that happening, we then sat down the next day, we broke it down. How are we going to make this better? This isn't going to happen again. How many guests are we going to have in an allocated slot? What was going on with this particular chef, et cetera? And, you know, we broke it down. And this is the way we need to do things. Things are always going to go wrong. It, it is. You know, it's natural. You, you're going to get, oh, I don't like this or send this back or whatever. And you pressurize. You've got 10 other things to do, but you have to stop and do that. Um, I think it's just taking stock of saying, okay, step back, right? If it has to be five or 10 minutes more, it is what it is and move on. But I think it's definitely something we need to teach because it comes from the top. And if your leaders show that they are agitated and angry and et cetera, that passes down onto the team. But if your leaders know how to command the room, they know how to treat their staff, how to deal with a very tight situation where, you know, you're throwing a plate back at a chef. He's got 10 other plates to go out and he's screaming at you because he doesn't have time to redo that plate. But if you have a way of speaking and being, appreciative and understanding that pressure or saying, you know, whatever it is, Hey guys, I'll take something else to the table, extra 10 minutes. Don't worry. Appease the guest, give them something extra work with the teams, you know, work together and support each other front and back. This is so important to help the operation and everyone grow. And I'm hearing you and I'm thinking, but what she's saying is so obvious and believe it or not, it hadn't entered my brain. Um, until now, this moment of conversation, because obviously, if some if uh, someone to whom you're speaking is with uh, empathy and care is still not delivering, then you can you can you know part uh, roads, you know, you, and and you can do this in a nice way. W- what you're saying is not let's keep everybody and let's uh, let's make sure that everybody is going to stay with us regardless. You need to perform, but you can still manage this conversation in a way that is, you know, fair, um, pleasant, um, you know, respectful. Absolutely. And, and if it doesn't work, the, uh, you know, the, the separation, if I can say so, can yep. also be respectful and very, um, very clear and saying, you know, we need to, to grow in different directions. It's an opportunity for both of us because as it is today, it's not working. So, 
Halima, yalla, let's dive into Burn Chef. I think it's the right moment. And, the right and, moment for that. <laughs> but because, okay, we, we've we've been talking for, um, you know, um, sometime now, and, and if you're listening to this episode, you realize that getting what you're getting on your plate uh, means that there is something very intense happening in the background and you might not realize the price of the mouthful of delicious food that you're putting in your mouth. Um, and again, let's not say that everything is black or everything is white or, uh, I mean, in fact, using colors like that is not something that I want to do anymore. So let's not say that everything is wrong or right. Let's just acknowledge what's going on. And what's going on is that there is not room today, not enough for sure, to um, to let people working in this industry express their emotions. And it ends up being a pileup of pain, hurt, that leads to a burnout, which is why it's called I imagine burnt chef. So can you tell me, uh, Halima, what is the ambition of burnt chef? Why is it important that everybody knows about it? And what is for you being an ambassador of burnt chef? So what, why has it been created in the first place? What's the ambition of burnt chef? So the Burn Chef project is a non-profit social enterprise. We fully committed to making the hospitality profession healthier and more sustainable. Um, this was created by our director, Chris Hall, an amazing guy. And um, he launched the project in May 2019. Um, he set it up with the sole intention of eradicating mental health stigma within this hospitality. You know, he'd worked with a lot of hospitality individuals, worked closely with everyone, and he could see this, you know, from the long antisocial hours, the tough environmental conditions, pressures to perform. These are just some of the things that you know, everyone in hospitality has to fight against on a daily basis. And then you see the, you know, the repercussions of what this does. So mental health is something is something that hasn't been challenged in our industry before. We've never had support until, you know, recently, especially over the pandemic. I think a lot has changed and given us a lot of time to think. To start with my story of becoming an ambassador, obviously, you know, COVID hit us. I lost everything. You know, I lost my job and, and all of that, as, as a lot of other people did. And uh, I went through my bouts of depression, not knowing what to do with my life because everything I knew was taken away from me. And I can't even remember if it was through Google, it was a search or something. And I found the burnt chef. And Chris was actually every Friday throughout the pandemic, it was coffee and a catch up. And basically, he would create a Zoom where you know, anyone in hospitality, front or back of house, could just sign on. And we could have a chat where it was a very safe space to just talk, you know, because especially over the pandemic, it's affected so many people. And, and this was an environment that he was creating to say, you can come here and speak your truth without being judged. Halima, how did you at this time understand that you were in depression? Because you talk about it now with the look of someone who's gone through it. Yeah. But okay, it's the pandemic. Everything is taken uh, away from you. You're a tough woman. You are a dragon. You are an overachiever. You don't fail. You don't whine. You don't feel miserable. You don't do this. How did you realize that you were in depression? I was broken. 
show is the the honest thing here is to say I was completely broken. I'd lost a job. I had no income. I had to come back to the UK because I was actually in the Middle East at the time. Um, it was the unknown that was so frightening. The unknown of we're here in a global pandemic. I don't have an income. How am I going to survive? You know, the hospitality industry and the tourists, as we know, was hit the hardest. So globally, it was a problem. And then it was like, well, what am I going to do? This is what I know how to do. And I was a private chef at the time. So, you know, I knew that world. I didn't know, or it, in my mindset, it wasn't to change or diversify, or that was what I knew and that was where I was. Um, I was alone with myself. Being isolated was really difficult. Um, you know, it was anxiety. It was you know, feeling of brokenness, of not feeling worthy enough of like, um, there was an unworthiness, the confidence levels were dropped, you know, you just feel like everything was so heavy and dark and the tears would come, the crying, not wanting to get out of bed, you know, no self-care. Sometimes all you do is just, you just want to sleep. You just want to be, to forget, you know, um, and it was a tough place. I can't tell you how grateful I am that from learning, you know, through what I went through um, at that really dark time, the Burnt Chef project and some of the chiefs that I met on there, some of the other ambassadors, you know, we just connected through those calls. Hmm. We then created our own little network where we would say, you know, if I was having a bad day, I had somebody else's number to say, you know, hey, I'm struggling today, you know. And I could speak, I could cry, I could vent without being judged. And this is something we've never known before because you always suck it up. Don't do this. Don't do that. You never cry in front of your boss. Even if your chef shouts at you, you never, you know, you don't show emotion. You are taught to not show emotion. So the pandemic changed a lot of things. Reevaluate who I was. You know, where I was at my core of a human being, in my mm. mindset, in my career. Um, and, and, and I guess that this must have been something quite critical because quite important to, to understand who you were, because usually uh, people who work so intensely on their craft think that they are their craft, right? You are so yeah. defined by what you do, then when someone takes it away from you, and, and, and you know, talking about it, I realized that also this is why probably the kitchen environment, which is always going to be more demanding than any other type of environment, but the kitchen environment or the restaurant environment is also a privileged field for people to to abuse themselves sometimes and to push the the energy level too much because if i define myself through my craft and what i do my cooking my uh, my recipes my crafting of this plate well the problem is that if you remove it from me If you don't find that you are satisfied with my performance, I'm in danger of losing what I do. Therefore, if, if I am what I do, then it's a big danger, right? And probably this is also something that might be happening subconsciously in the head of a lot of people in the kitchen. If you take that away from me, yeah. who am I? A lot of families 
you know, a lot of guys didn't know, had never spent so much time with their families for one. You know, this is something else we saw that they were always working. They didn't have time for family. But over the pandemic, they were forced to spend time with their families. Some families flourished. Some got so many I know got divorced. Um, you know, the guys were like, we're so used to being at such a high level of intensity. We're not used to just stopping. And it's true. As chefs, you just go, go, go 16 hours. How many shifts, split shifts that are your body's just going, going, going. We were forced to stop. And it affected us all differently. You know, everyone's so many people. Yes, depression is there, but so many people when you ask them and now that, you know, I've grown into this over the last couple of years, you know, you realize how did I keep going like that? Like if, if the pandemic hadn't happened to us, we would have still been like hamsters on a wheel, right? We wouldn't have known any better how to treat each other better, how to create a better workplace culture. This is what we're fighting for, you know? So to educate our teams to understand. So one thing I love about to become an ambassador, we have a lot of training. There's a lot of free training. We have an academy, which some of the modules, um, you know, wow, where to start? There's just so many on there from suicide prevention, drugs and alcohol, inclusion and diversity, bullying in the workplace, wow. dealing with, you know, sort of understanding sort of like, you know, your people who are bipolar or, you know, schizophrenia, what understanding what that looks like in someone's head, you know, to have better understanding, compassion at work, uh, mental health awareness at work. Um, and, you know, when I was studying through those things, it helped me identify certain things with myself. Hmm. So I'd be going through the mental, and I was like, wow, you know, okay, yeah, that really makes sense. I did, you know, I used to do this. And there's a thing called presenteeism. So, and a lot of chefs tend to do this. You know, you're sick or you're not well, you run down, but you're still at work. You're still here. You're still fighting, but you're not okay, but you think you're. How do you and call you that? Presenteeism. Presenteeism. Okay, wow. Amazing. So it's, it's a thing where, you know, as chefs in hospitality, you're like, oh, well, you know, you cut your finger. Well, tie it up with something and you carry on going. Oh, you burn yourself on the grill. Well, just you'll deal with it later. Um, you know, these are real things that happen in kitchens, you know, in the middle of service. There's no way you can be, oh, chef, I've cut my finger. He's going to swear at you. He'll be like, what the hell? Right. But now you need to stop and be like, right, it's your self-care. What this has taught us and what the burn chef is teaching us is that, Self-care is so important. Understanding, you know, our struggles, speaking about them, being open about them, you know, but also we fighting to create a better workplace culture in a, throughout the whole organization from the top, hmm. COOs, GMs, you know, all the way down. Because if they have the right mindset, they will treat their teams and they will nurture their teams and they will understand that, as we know, chefs are gold dust today. Um if they are more empathetic and compassionate and willing to work and understand what, how tough it is in the back of house, they will try to liaise and make things easier for them, which then the chefs will be like, okay, we feel supported. We feel valued. This is another thing. I think for a lot of us, we don't feel valued, supported and appreciated enough from top management. Hmm. And if we can change this, I think it will really create a movement, you know, within the industry that people will say, yes, we do want to come back into this. We can see the changes. There's a lot more, um, you know, love and care going into nurturing teams. Um, 
I can't emphasize this enough because, you know, together you can pave, you know, a healthier way to sustainable industry, but it has to come with everyone doing their part within, you know, within that. Um, I think... Nima, sorry, go, go, go ahead, go ahead. Hospitality staff should be able, they, they should be able to discuss their state of their mental health. They should be able to, you know, verbalize that I'm not okay. They should be, they should feel that they should be able to say that, you know, and have the support if they're not um, between their peers and their employees. I think this is so important. So, um, I mean, in the context of a kitchen, we can imagine that we would love people from the sous chef down to the steward to be able to speak within the kitchen. Yes. What about the chef? Should Absolutely. the chef also be able to show their vulnerability and say to their peers, I'm not fine, I'm struggling. Or should they also be able to say that to their management, which is starts, which starts to become back office? It should be something that is seen throughout the organization. People shouldn't mm -hmm. be scared to say how they're feeling. I really believe that we need to create a wellness officer, a role that I think you and I have spoken about before. Yeah. You know, Joe, that somebody, you know, when you go apply for a job, this is how I like to say it, you know, we are, as a candidate, you are grilled, they get to know about you, but who actually goes to audit the company to see that that company is treating their staff well, or how they treat their staff? How do they manage them? Do you know how many HR managers I've heard about? HR is supposed to be your go-to. Most people hate going to HR. Of course. Right? Because it's not... It's almost like, oh, it's going to be a problem. No, we need to create some uh, kind of a person that is, we, we do have a mental health first aid course, which, you know, is something I've done and I have found it so useful. Hmm. Um, it has helped me immensely, especially over the last month or so, um, you know, dealing with people on site. But it's one of those where we need to have mental health first aiders, someone that can, you know, identify certain things, point you in the right direction to get the help that you need. And, you know, by looking after your teams, you will get better productivity. If people feel valued, appreciated, and they feel that they can open themselves up and be like, hey, you know what? Maybe there's a funeral. Maybe something's happened at home. You don't know. You don't know what everyone's got to struggle, right? So if you can create a, an environment where people feel safe to be vulnerable, you'll get less people not wanting to come to work and people calling in sick and You know, because a lot of people, what I've noticed on sites today, people are working because they just need the money. How many of them actually want to be there? None. And do you know how many of them come to me when I ask them, I'm like, why don't you want to be here? We are underpaid, undervalued, underappreciated. So why wow. should we be here? Okay. And this is real. This is so real. Um, I had another chef come up to me the other day yeah. and he's struggling with depression, but his chef, who is his lead, he can't approach them. Because he just said, well, I don't like the way they talk to me. They talk down to me like I'm an idiot. And I was like, well, this needs to be a conversation. You're a good worker. And if you, you know, and I, I've worked with this guy and I thought he was, you know, he's got potential. Hmm. But you need to nurture him. So why did he feel comfortable to talk to me and voice that to me? Because I was approachable, right? Whereas his boss, he can't go to. He doesn't feel, you feel scared. Now we need to get rid of that. That needs to come to an end. 
And uh, you know, I'm I'm very moved. It's been like uh, 20 minutes that I have uh, uh, strong emotions when when you're speaking. Uh, somehow, uh, nearly tears uh, coming because this it touches me a lot. Uh, and I I can't. I mean, uh, I'm fascinated by what you're saying. Question, Halima, how did you find the burnt chef? Literally, because you're now. We're talking about what should change. We're talking about what Burn Chef yep. is about. We talked about the topics that the Burn Chef is putting on the table and what it stands for. Uh, how did you find them? Literally, you were typing on Google depression, chef, uh, helpless. How did it work? Do, do you remember that? Joe, I, you know what? I don't actually remember. I remember networking a lot over the pandemic. Um, over LinkedIn and, you know, it was somewhere on media hmm. and it caught my attention and I was like, right. And then I reached out and then I started joining the Zoom calls and I got to know Chris and, you know, um, a couple of the other ambassadors hmm. and um, I felt a sense of belonging, you know, I felt, wow, this is super cool. And I connected with one of the other chiefs who is, he's a brother, you know, it's a brother and sisterhood that I can't describe to you where, We all met over Zoom over the pandemic. And when a few of us had the opportunity to meet when things opened up at, mm. at a food event, the love, it was like, you know, the hugs and the, I can't explain what that felt like to meet people that understood exactly how you feel that could just be like, yes, I get that. I've been through that. I know what that feels like, you know? Um, to feel a sense of belonging, they make me feel loved, appreciated, valued, you know, um, I've become a chief ambassador. I've, I've become the first female chief on the project. We have, other yes. but I'm the first chief. So I want to raise up more women. I want to empower more women to speak up because I'm hoping that by me speaking my truth, which hasn't been easy, I want people to understand that. My journey to this point, speaking to you today, has not been easy. I have been through a hell of a lot in my life, personal and professional. And to be where I am today, I'm grateful by the grace of God, to be honest with you, um, that I'm still alive because, mm. you know, I had my moments of suicide, depression, thinking of taking my life. I've been there. I've been through those yeah. dark stages. But now that I have a family, a community that I belong somewhere. I feel a sense of purpose. I feel I've found my true identity. This is something a very good friend of mine said to me a few years ago, just before the pandemic, Halima, what is your identity? And I couldn't answer that question. And he said to me, it is not an easy question to answer, but you know what, Joe, I have found that purpose to be able to create an environment where other women can feel safe. Other men can feel safe. You know, yeah. for me, because of women, I want to empower other women to speak up, to be more, to be brave and courageous, you know, um, and to, to be like, maybe my voice today will save somebody else and be like, you know what, I'm actually going to speak about that. That wasn't okay. And um, I'm, and this I'm sure, I'm sure it will, I mean, this is what I want to believe. This is why I do this podcast with you. This is why I do this podcast, full stop. Um I just want to mention the website of the Burnt Chef project. So you just type the T H E burnt, like burning burnt, B U R N T chef, C H E F. 
project in one word.com yes. and you'll find something quite compelling and amazing the website is super yep. nice yep. So it's the burnchefproject.com if you're listening to that and you feel that there is maybe some resource something inside you that you at least to start with is curious about that or if you feel that you need help just go there and take it from there there are resources and possibilities for you to to find you know the right place for you to rebuild yourself and maybe heal and go on with this job that you love you don't need to quit you don't need to uh, change everything things can change from within and the culture will change eventually you will still have a few decades of being alive you and me uh, halima and we can yeah, we can all together make it happen so go there and halima uh, one thing I, I wanted to check with you is we've talked again quite extensively of um things that are quite intense you know uh, we talk about suicide we talk about uh, schizophrenia we talk about uh, personality you know disorders that come as well and are sometimes amplified or are provoked by this profession that we that we both love so much yeah but what's the extent of the damage are there figures are there um you know have you come across some industry type of uh, update on how many chefs go through that is there some kind of uh, data no, available survey yeah that we've done um i've got a few things actually i scribbled down for you joe so basically four out of five hospitality professionals report having experienced at least one mental health issue as a direct result of their career okay now, you say this again you say this again four out of five hospitality professionals yes and it's not it's not just restaurant it's hospitality professional yeah because the burnt chef is for front and back of house, right? Because we are all hospitality. We are all one family. Um, the training is just phenomenal. I mean, we, we have leadership training and we have a diploma as well in place now. Um, there's a lot of exciting things coming, to be honest. Um, but it's a big, I mean, that's a large percentage. I mean, it's not a large percentage. It's, <laughs> it's just a disaster. Four out of five, you would have told me two out of five, I would have said, yeah, already it's a big thing. You know, four out of five is very concerning. Yeah, that's wow. it. And then only 17% of hospitality workers said that they would feel comfortable talking to their employer about mental health. Right? And then you have 42% of people would rather state a different reason for being absent than report it for being a mental health issue phenomenon. Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm listening to this with, uh, with stupor. Mm -hmm. Work-life balance is the most frequently mentioned barrier to working in the sector and most commonly cited reason for leaving. Feeling valued is the biggest driver when asked what changes would improve recruitment and retention. 40% of hospitality workers report having had less than favorable experiences with their mental health over the past 12 months. That, that's a survey that is UK. You Short one, but we have a lot on the website. We've got a lot more that you can see. 
Sorry, I, I didn't hear it. This is only UK, US, uh, the survey? We have, um, I believe this is in the UK currently, to but we UK. have ambassadors all over and we know we have some ambassadors in Canada. We have uh, some in America. We have some in Australia now, South Africa as well. Um, we have in the UK as when you make chief ambassador, it means you take over a region in the United, United Kingdom. And then you have a group of ambassadors who then come um, underneath you in your region. So not everyone can have direct access, you know, to our lovely director because, mm. you know, he's all human. So we are an army. We are his army out there where we create a support network. So, for example, today I would say, hey, Joe, you and five other people, you know, underneath me, we're going to have a Zoom call. We're going to have catch-ups, whether it's once a week, every two weeks. What's going on? What's happening in the industry? What do we need to deal with? You know, and we have these conversations. We support each other. So we are trying to create these little hubs where there is support um, within the industry when, when you join up, when you sign up. Um, and then obviously we go out as ambassadors to, you know, promote the project within our workplaces. As chiefs, we go, um, for example, I, you know, will be on a panel to discuss mental health at um, a very prestigious event in a couple of days. Um, you know, and this is an honor and a privilege to be able to do that, to speak for my industry as a woman. So, you know, it's super powerful what we can do collectively. And it doesn't mean, you know, changing your world is changing where you are. So even when I go onto a site, it's my mental mindset. What is my mindset when I go into that kitchen, that site, how I treat people? It starts from there. And then we raise money. Some chefs will, you know, have a dinner and raise money for the project because it's a charity. So, I mean, we do sell merchandise to make money, but obviously, you know, to be able to create the content and do what we need, we need funding, you know. So there is a place to donate to the project if people so wish to. Um, but what we do is we, we give of our time because we love this industry. So, you know, we choose to go to the exhibitions and to meet people and to partner up and you know, get people to support us. And we, we actually have quite a few big brand names, you know, following us. So it's, it's absolutely an incredible movement that's growing. And I feel so honored and privileged and it's become a part of my life in everything I do. Um, you know, mental health is number one. If I have turned down jobs because of it, because if you're not going to treat my team the same way you're going to treat me, I will not work for you. But three years ago, that could have been a very different thing, right? So education, knowledge is power. If you're educated, you can make better decisions for yourself. Um, you know, we need to speak off microphone on, on because what you're saying now is basically open to people who suffer directly from, you know, mental health issues or... A complicated situation but instantly my my question mark is it's nice if it comes from people who suffer yeah, yeah. but how do we take this conversation to people who manage these people to the shareholders of the hotels or to the regional managers or to the to change that conversation and um, i want to I want to continue this conversation off the mic to see how you do things and how maybe people like me or, or other peers who coach people yeah. uh, can maybe also contribute to that in a way or another. Um, 
because I think this is too important. We need, we need this um, industry to 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 shine and thrive because this is this is an industry that is just dedicated to bringing happiness. Yeah. But can it be? Can it continue to become happiness in the expense of the life? <laughs> of the people who work there, I think this is criminal to continue like that. I think it is, but I think, you know, one thing I'm so proud of is 100% of the profits raised from the sales in the store from the Burn Chef project. This all goes to providing free to access support services within the industry. So we have a 24-hour service within the UK. I think we've got one in the, if I'm not mistaken, Australia. We have a number out there in the US. South Africa, um, where you can text, you know, you don't have to say who you are and you will have someone within, I mean, the time limit now, because it's just, it, it's become so busy, you know, between seven to up to 20 minutes, you know, but you will get someone, you know, to help you um, and you'll be able to speak to someone. So not only is the academy helpful to somebody to understand different aspects, to train yourself, to educate yourself better. Um, but then also you can take it that step forward where we, you know, we have a, a diploma, we have presentations where we go into corporates, you know, companies into hospitality companies and we train their teams. We speak to them about mental health and understanding, you know, what it can do for them, you know, from, from the top level, from GM level all the way down. So by them having the right training and the education, you know, that's the way we were going to challenge the stigma of mental health, you know, while we try to create the culture of care and compassion within this industry. Um, that's the only way to improve the recruitment opportunities while also reducing turnover rates for everybody. I'm, um, I have the chills. I am excited, uh, deeply moved by, uh, by this part of the conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Thank you. So, um, people who are listening to this you can become a member you can for some chefs start to consider maybe becoming an ambassador if you have taken enough training uh this is this is what is needed right now money is needed but i guess that the more the busier it will become the more you will be able to build a business model out of this that will uh, require maybe less funding and will guarantee more income by probably doing more coaching and training um, to to corporations. So, um, is there something on, on this incredibly rich topic that has taken so much uh, in our conversation? And I'm glad of that. I'm happy about that. Is there something else that we that you want to mention before we move to another topic that I want to talk to you about and I want to hear you about? Uh, plant-based nutrition and um, and using food as medicine. Okay. Um, is there something that we forgot about the, the burnt chef or no? I think... No, I think we're there. I think um, I really encourage people to, to go to the website and, you know, we have a lot of support. We have a lot of, you know, resource on there um, and it'll really point you in the right direction and perhaps, you know, help you. So I, I really would recommend that. Um, And, you know, if you are a chef struggling or a hospitality individual and, you know, we are there to support you and to know that you're not alone. I think this is a big thing. I'd like to say that there is a community. We are growing globally. Um, you know, and my goal is to bring this to the Middle East very soon. So, uh, yeah, I think I can help you with this. Yeah, that's that's a big goal. Yeah. So yeah. I think, 
together we are stronger to fight this and together we can burn away the mental health stigma within our industry once and for all and create a better working and thriving environment. Um, so we were great and we will be great again. So, you know, standing together and, you know, fighting this is something I just encourage everyone to, you know, really look into. Okay, great. So, Halima, let's let's slide on to something that I want to, you know, discover. Uh, I'm a very uh, basic, normal individual. I'm a food lover. I eat meat. Uh, I try to choose the quality of meat uh, that I'm eating, but I'm, I'm rich, I would say, so I can pay. Yeah. When I say I'm rich, it means that I'm, uh, I can choose to take organic meat yep. versus non-organic meat, and it's not going to kill my daily life. This is what I call rich. Yeah. Uh, so, but I understand it's not accessible to everybody. Mm. Um, I, I know there are a lot of dysfunctions in the food industry. Um, the pollution of the oceans, the plastic that we ingest with the fishes, the uh, cruelty of uh, treating animals, etc. And of course, naturally, when I hear plant-based nutrition, it seems to be, um, I don't know, it's not attractive to me as a person because I'm thinking, uh, uh, no, and I have a lot of objections in my mind. Um, proteins, Um, you know, if I want to get from quinoa, the number of proteins that I get from a uh, steak, I'd better eat five kilos of quinoa. Um, and there are so many things where I believe I'm blind, wrong, um, uninformed, uneducated. Um, and I would like you to, to tell us maybe what is plant-based nutrition, um, why it is important to you. And what role does it have in the, in in what you think should be you know a, a different way of sustaining our life? So, Joe, my story with plant-based nutrition came from <coughs> excuse me um, a very personal space. Like I mentioned, you know, in the industry, obviously having not eaten very well, etc., I um, have ended up with two autoimmune conditions, which I'm controlling through diet um, and using food as medicine. So. I studied plant-based nutrition originally to transition. So with plant-based nutrition, it could be somebody that eats lots of meat. Um, I'm a flexitarian like you. I think that's the best diet to be on. Uh, veganism is a choice. It's a lifestyle choice. And I think mm. we will dive into that in a minute and my thoughts on it. Um, plant-based nutrition. So it's a transitional phase. So someone might say, well, you know, I want to stop eating a lot of meats, et cetera. But, you know, in your mind, you're like, oh, I really love a burger on a Friday night. But then we make it healthier. You know, you've got to work out the psychology of your mind, too, because we love, oh, you know, whether it's a milkshake or something like that. You know, everyone loves a bit of, you know, some of the processed foods that are just easy and go and it's comfort food. Right. Hmm. So through a plant-based diet, you transition. It's three stages from being an omnivore, eating all your meats and everything, and then, you know, slowly changing things. So maybe, you know, we eliminate a little bit of dairy. So we use a dairy alternative. So you've got maybe your oat milk or something that comes into that. Um, and you slowly transition eating more fruits, more vegetables, being conscious of having more fiber on your plate and conscious of, you know, the size of your plate 
how much of what you are eating, more whole grains. It's eating more wholesome food, in essence, not more wholesome. Wholesome, wholesome. mean not processed? Not processed. Um, I don't believe in, you know, this is my personal preference, to be honest, with a lot of the soya products. I will not touch them. Um, I believe in cooking a vegetable and eating actual plants to heal. And this has worked throughout my journey from I had a 700 inflammatory marker, which was to, you know, I have ulcerative colitis, which meant I was bleeding internally and in hospital. So from Oof. that, bringing myself down to an inflammatory marker below 50 through diet and everything that, look, I respect conventional medicine, but this is where I respect lifestyle medicine because they believe in, you know, plant-based nutrition and being able to eat more fiber, more vegetables, more cruciferous vegetables. So what I mean is like your cabbages, your kale, your spinaches, your cavallo nero, things like that. Those really help to reverse engineer disease in your body. Um, so just one question. Am I correct then that at least in your mind or in the way plant-based nutrition is used, plant-based nutrition is uh, using food to cure or to, to as a medicine? As I've used it in this way. Other ah, people okay. use it as a way to change from eating meat yeah. to then going fully plant vegetarian to then being vegan completely. Okay, so plant-based nutrition is not uh, is not always associated with uh, using food as a medicine, but this is how you used it. Yes, this is okay. How I, I understand. Okay. A lot of lifestyle, um, like the doctors who I mentioned now, who I've teamed up with to work with, they believe in a plant-based, full plant-based diet. No, literally the vegetables, the fruits and vegetables, incorporating more fiber in your diet for your gut health. Um, you know, and eating foods, look, what works for me will not necessarily work for you because everybody has a different, you know, your bodies take things very differently. So what I digest, you might not be able to digest. So what I would say is what we do is it's, um, so for example, if I speak about colitis, because this is something and Crohn's where a lot of people suffer from this. And I've also got, uh, rheumatoid arthritis so not only do i have my joints flaring up and inflammation there then it kicks off in my stomach so when you've got one um, autoimmune condition you can then pick up two however what most you know i want to say all the groups that will tell you for crohn's and colitis eat so if i give you a, an example when i was first diagnosed i was told to eat white bread white pasta everything white nothing green so mm. what are you giving your body right tin peaches you know maybe peaches cooked in syrup or something, things that were easy to digest. And if anything, I was putting on weight, not only with the medication, etc. So I had to really delve into this and be like, right, okay, how do I make this healthier and better and more nutritious? So yes, fiber plays a big part, but there are so many people that have healed by having little amounts of fiber because you need fiber for digestion. You need mm -hmm. fiber for your gut to operate. And by including a little bit of fiber. And the problem with a lot of like colitis and Crohn's, fiber is a problem. It triggers, right? It really triggers. And that's why they keep you on all the processed stuff, which is not healthy. So you are keeping your body in a state of being so unwell. And what I've learned is you go through the growing pains. There'll be a couple of weeks of the process of eliminating sugar, gluten, and dairy. This is super helpful. And it's not forever, you know, you can, mm. you can see it, but 
throughout a healing or detoxifying process, as I've taken it, is eating more plants, more fruits, more vegetables in my diet, creating menus for myself that were, I want to say, more low carb. Um, you have your carbs, but I cut down on the carbs. So that would help with, you know, I'd have use a coconut oil or the olive oils to help by in combining these oils. It also helps to keep you fuller and they are good oils for your body. So there's a whole dynamic, which I'm super excited about. And then you can work into, if you think about Ayurvedic medicine as well, where, you know, you have a herb like ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen. And I can't tell you how powerful this is, but then there's so many other herbs that I've been exploring for different things where you can add these into something. So if you make yourself, for example, I created myself a brownie. Who, you know, everyone wants to treat, right? I'm not saying you have to, yes, eat healthily, but then make better choices in. So I'll use an almond flour. Um, you know, it'll be, you know, proper cocoa powder. It would be coconut sugar opposed to, you know, processed sugar. So changing things for yourself to say, oh, I can still have a snack. I can still have a treat, but it's better for me. Right. Wow. And everything under the supervision of I work alongside healthcare professionals and doctors. So a lot of the doctors have said to me, you know, you become your own specialist when you've got certain conditions and chronic illness, you need anti-inflammatory foods. So in order to bring down inflammation, Joan, if I can just share my story to because, you know, I guess I'm the expert on my own body. Um I love lentils, pulses, grains, but they can be a double-edged sword for autoimmune conditions. So depending on consumption, because it can kick off inflammation, you've got to be careful. So everything within reason and balance. Um, I found that by eliminating dairy and I love cheese like the next person, you know, but then I'm careful with things. So when I, when I know I'm in remission, and my body's feeling good, then I'll have like, say like a Parmesan or something, or, you know, I'd stay away from like soft mozzarellas and things like that, hard cheeses, um, like a good cheddar or something like that. If I really feel, you know, the need for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then incorporating slowly. So you don't go cold Turkey on everything. You start slowly. So yes, you might be eating white bread, but then let's switch it to a gluten-free bread. You know, your tummy, the inflammation, all of that, because gluten affects, you know, inflammation as well. Um, actually, the whole, the three of them together that we all love, you know, I'm, I've been addicted to sugar and finding sort of date molasses, which I've used, you know, maple syrup and coconut sugar um, have been my godsends and then honey as well, you know, but within reason, because that can also spike things in your blood. You've got, yes. Yeah, yes. you know, so they are options, but it's, having the guidance and working alongside someone who understands that and to guide you through an independent diet to say, right, Joe, I understand maybe you've got high cholesterol or this, or, you know, what it is. And we have your medication. What can we feed you with alongside that to make your body stronger and optimal, but then also including supplementation. So if I had to show you my cabinet, you would laugh and think I'm a pharmacy, but I have a, a regime of my morning. Hmm. So, because my body hasn't absorbed nutrients very well, um, I've had to take, you know, I take a, a, a thousand milligrams of vitamin C powder. I have a magnesium formula. I have collagens and I have like a little cocktail for my morning with oils and things. And then your, you know, your B6, B12, et cetera, and it's all incorporated. And then at nighttime, 
I also have something to help me sleep, to help my body nourish itself. So, Sorry, because you, you're touching a, a topic that is expanding a bit. The, the, and, and just, just a little break on the, on the audience. You might be listening to this and saying, I mean, People Not Numbers is a podcast about engagement. Why are we talking about that? And this is what I love in this type of uh, persons that I meet like you, uh, Halima, is that um, it goes way beyond just engagement. It's also engagement for our own health and um, uh, raising awareness and discovering new things. That is the ambition of, uh, of this podcast. And God, I'm fascinated that we, are can, we can have such rich conversations together on, 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 on really different topics. Um, and now you, you were just talking about uh vitamins and uh, b6 uh, uh vitamin d etc alors one just to recap the plant-based uh nutrition can be used to reverse engineer uh conditions that we have okay yeah so i feel inflammation I feel that my weight is uh, too much. I feel that my food is not the best food. And even if I got used to it, I can sense that I'm harming myself. Plant-based nutrition can help me transition uh, towards where I'm here, uh, from, where I'm, from where I am today to another place. And we're going to talk about where can I find this type of information? And this is where I guess we're going to talk about uh, a tea with dogs, right? Uh, or, or yeah, after, yeah. So that's, that's a, a, an important part. And now you just touched, alors, I also have a question on that uh, before going on where to find information on, is this type of food, plant-based nutrition or approach more than food, something that could exist or th that does exist in restaurants? That's another question, okay? But not now. The, you, you touch about the topic, uh, you touch on the topic of vitamins. And my question to you is, if you, as someone who knows and knows food and knows nutrition, are taking supplements because this is what we're talking about and i'm sure that uh, disclaimer you are very responsible of the quality of the supplements that you choose absolutely okay but does it mean that in fact there is not enough nutrients or vitamins in the food that we find today sometimes it can depend on where vegetables are grown the soil the sunlight that can also be very dependable. So you can go into a supermarket and buy a tomato and it looks nice and red. Where was it grown? How much sunlight? How much was pumped into it? You, so will, you will never know. You, you will, will never know, right? Mm. So you can still eat. So th this is the whole thing. I eat a lot of vegetables, fruits. I will constantly have this in my house to try and get as much of the natural you know, nutrients I can. However, because of my specific condition and with the chronic illness, you you suffer from, say, chronic fatigue, right? So I've also created a list of foods and ways you need to hydrate, you need to, you know, the, the way you eat certain things, you do need certain supplementation to help combat that. And you can ingest certain things, but depending on how you take food in, everybody's different on how they absorb. You might eat a lot of spinach, but you might, uh, by eating a bowl full of spinach doesn't give you 
the exact nutrients you need from iron, for example, or magnesium, right? So we always need to work alongside, but I work with everything that's clean. So all the supplementation I take is from, is all natural. I work with a naturopath. So I'm very specific. I'm very careful about what I put into my body. Like you say, you know, like yourself, I will not eat any rubbish. I will choose like the next person. If I want to make a burger, but I'm going to make it myself, I'll make it at home with good meat, et cetera. Um, you know, and make sure it's quality that I'm putting into my body. I will not compromise that. And I think the hard thing is it's affordability, but it can be done. You know, lentils, pulses, grains are not that expensive, to be honest, but it's mm. teaching people and educating them how to cook them, the combinations. And yes, let's have a piece of fish with like, say, you know, your quinoa, or make a beautiful quinoa salad. Maybe you crumble some, you know, some, some feta or something into that to make it a bit, you know, to uplift it. So it's also teaching people flavor profiles. It doesn't have to be boring. Okay. And, and where can I find? So is the website, uh, I need to find again the, the right reference because I, I think I, I, I keep on massacring the, um, the name of that. Uh, it was T. Tell me the name of this. Uh, uh, this oh, afternoon tea with doctors. Afternoon so, tea with so it's afternoon tea with docs. Afternoon tea with doctors is yeah. Doctor Linda and Doctor Erica, two amazing ladies. Yeah, um, who I met uh, recently met online. Actually, we 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 haven't actually properly physically been able to meet, which is uh, you know just because of the circumstance and they work so hard. But these amazing ladies, um, I've joined up with them as part of their team, and basically they have created a multidisciplinary team through a group consultation model to help address all aspects of their care in a supportive community. So they've created a su supportive community, a members forum, where every Sunday there is a webinar with a specialist. Um, so they, they're backed by, they're both um, evidence-based lifestyle medicine trained and, you know, they, they both have their own unique yeah, values. And I've seen the profiles where, I mean, and you remember, you're, you're a specialist uh, uh, and I was very proud to see you uh, there. Uh, so this is a place where if you're passionate about it or if you're interested about it or if you want to know more about nutrition, healthy nutrition and stuff, it there is a support. resource. It yeah, it's resource. basically, we are working on recipes. We have a dietitian on board as well, um, but we are working on recipes. I think the goal at the moment is to have at least 50 people with type, you know, diabetes, type 1, type 2, to be in remission. And this is the goal of the doctors. And But not only that, it's also by, they, you know, Dr. Linda and Dr. Erica set out to empower everyone to enjoy good health by bringing lifestyle medicine experts to the table. So over a hot cup of tea every Sunday. So every week, like this week, I believe we have someone with chronic pain management um, speaking on Sunday. And then after the, his conversation, we then jump onto a cup of tea, grab a cup of tea, and you can actually ask questions. You can speak to the doctors. You can ask whatever it is. And you have access because on the national health system in the UK, you only get seven minutes with a doctor. So this, I can't tell you how I am so in awe of these incredible women and being a part of, you know, joining this forum um to help you and, know and if help. you're listening to this go on the website afternoon tea with 
Docs, D-O-C-S, like doctors, docs.com. So afternoon tea with docs.com. Go to the team and you'll be impressed. You know, we have emergency medicine doctor, which is Dr. Linda, and board certified lifestyle medicine doctor, Dr. Erica, general practitioner, board certified lifestyle medicine doctor, the only male, Dr. Adrian, uh, Jay Akuma, general, so there is a GP. Uh, we've got a few GPs, general practitioners, health coaches. There is you, consultant chef and plant-based nutritionist, Halima, a registered di uh, dietitian. So there are super interesting people, nurses, uh, who are composing this team. And this is a resource that if you are interested or if you feel that you need, um, you know, to, to modify maybe or to, to, to get more involved into the way you eat, uh, go there and, and check it out so, because this is important. And my question to you now is a bit more, uh, you know, let's say superficial maybe, but it's, it's important because it, it goes back to what we also love. Is this type of uh, approach, plant-based nutrition, existing in restaurants today in any shape or form? It's becoming a lot more, it's becoming so popular, to be honest. I think actually this weekend in London, there is a, uh, there's an exhibition. It's like a wellness show going on where there's organic foods and all kinds of, you know, everything plant-based, the newest trends. Um, restaurants are definitely picking up on this. There are some restaurants that are just completely plant-based or vegetarian. Um, there is a new, um, is a brand I actually worked with recently that launched a Swiss brand. Um, it's a pea protein. And I think, I believe it has five ingredients. It's like water, pea protein, salt, and something else just to stabilize it. But it's clean eating. And it's a form of creating, um, getting people to be creative to say, for sustainability of the planet as well, let's eat plant-based maybe two times a week. I try and encourage my family with that as well to say, right, you know, three days a week, we're going to have like a vegetarian meal or you know, it could be something so simple, like a really nice lentil and spinach soup with like a nice little millet bread or something. Um, and then you could have maybe, a, 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 if you really feel like in a plant-based alternative of, of meat, you know, where you could get something to f throw into a stir fry or I'm not crazy about, and this is my personal preference, I'm not crazy. And when I have clients in my private clinics, I don't advocate the soya products. I tend to stay away from it. I'd rather take a cauliflower and make that into a steak, use a mushroom into a steak, you know, an aubergine, um, use the meatiness out of that and use flavor profile to then, you know, you can use Mexican flavors, Indian flavors. I mean, the world's your oyster. And my whole thing is about making food innovative, tasty, delicious and satisfying, but yet it's healthy. So I have my own private clinics where people can contact me through the website actually. And then, um, you know, set up to, to do bespoke eating plans. So, you know, go through a consultation to understand what you are going through and where you need support. So I will work alongside your doctors, your nutritionists, your specialists, and we will get you to a point of whether I'm teaching you how to cook for yourself, whether we're doing meal plans, whatever it is, it's quite bespoke. Everything I do is very bespoke for the client. And then introducing you to, you know, like the likes of afternoon tea with doctors to then sign on every Sunday and be involved in a forum that is so forward thinking. And, um, you know, they all believe, I mean, Dr. Linda herself has reversed, you know, a, a disease herself and she's, she's phenomenal. She's a phenomenal woman, um, an inspiration to me. And, you know, just being a part of that, I just think is groundbreaking. So having these resources, again, we never had this, 
you know, people with chronic conditions. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's something we've never had. So I, I hold this like gold, you know, it's gold dust for me um, to be able to then help others, you know, from, from your own experience, you can then help other people to say, right, well, these supplements work for me. Well, this food and these diets and, you know, this specific, whether it's a low GI or whether it's a low carb diet or how to make it more interesting, more fun. And actually recently, Dr. Linda has been focusing a lot on um, adding, incorporating fiber um, into your diets, you know, through breakfast. So she's actually put up a couple of breakfast recipes recently and it's quite interesting. And there's actually a download that the doctors have created on, you know, you can, how to reverse engineer disease through your diet, what to add incorporations of certain things. There's so much resource. And I just wish to share this because it's helped me immeasurably. And I'm hoping to help, you know, other people that may be struggling and saying, you know, I've, I've been to the doctors, but I'm not getting support after that. I've seen a nutritionist, but I'm actually not still where I need to be. And I'm saying mm. to someone who has been at the point of losing their life in hospital saying, you can shift this, get your mindset straight, get a support system that helps you and work with people. For myself, I found it's a naturopath who I absolutely adore, who's teaching me to make my own Alexas for pain. You know, it's, it's amazing. So it's as open as you want to be um, to heal and to get better. And the support is there if you need it. You know, what uh, fascinates me in our conversation for, I mean, since the very beginning is that it seems your energy is really dedicated to eradicate helplessness. You know, this feeling of, uh, <laughs> this feeling of, I have an issue and I don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. It seems that within your field of competence and your field of passion and your field of interest, you're going to do everything in your power to create or to contribute to platforms that break the helplessness. You don't know what to do with your mental health issues, burn chef. You don't know what to do with maybe the way you feed yourself, the way you, you eat, the way you approach food, generally speaking, when you have afternoon tea with docs.com. There is also your website, which is uh, tailored taste. So tailored taste.co.uk, which is, I guess, more. Um, no, it's not. I mean, there is a plant based nutrition uh, uh, section. Yeah, uh, there is culinary medicine section yes i mean so you can also go there huh? if you want to to have another uh place to eradicate helplessness is the website of halima i repeat it again and i will put it in the links anyway tailored t-a-i-l-o-r-e-d like tailored taste dot co dot uk anyway you type halima ferrera this is the first link that comes so well done for the seo even if you haven't worked specifically on it you're there so that's uh, <laughs> that's amazing um halima um i'd like to we're, we're going to soft land a bit on this um on this episode um and i'm deeply touched with everything we talked about i feel that there is really a, a, an energy of possibilities mm -hmm. 
um, in in what you're bringing. You create a space where things are possible. And, and you know, when you were talking, I was thinking, I need to give this podcast to this guy. I need to forward this podcast to this guy. I know I know a few people in this industry of hospitality and. And I think that people, when they listen to you, are going to feel that vibration within them to say, okay, you know, let's cut the crap and let's do something about the state of the industry or let's do something uh, with the way I eat or the way I, I approach food. There are resources and there are people who want others to feel good with that. And, and you're definitely leading the, uh, leading and paving the way. Uh, there are a few questions that I, I like to ask uh, to uh, to my guests, um, and the first one is um, a music or an artist you'd like to share with us. Alors, I'm, I'm giving you the context of this question. My sister Natalie uh, uh, challenged the way I was asking the question uh because i was asking the question like an artist or uh, a music that you listen to when you want to have positive energy and she told me why do you want to have positive energy if you are in a negative energy instead of escaping it just feel that be there and try to understand why you're feeling maybe stressed or stuff stop listening to music just to hide the fact that you don't feel well and she's so right yep. so natalie uh this is a um, an acknowledgement of your challenge it was happening during the episode so it was fun it's it's going to be accessible next week if you listen to it so i want to ask you maybe just a music an artist you would like to share with us very simply There's one that comes to mind and it's called Woman okay. by Andrea Triano. Okay. Woman by Andrea? Triana. T-R-I-A. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, why, and why, is, why this music? You know, she, it's inspirational for me. So, you know, when you're having those days when you need to put your lipstick on and fix your crown. <laughs> That's kind of one of the songs for me. Um, the other one is, uh, I'm trying to find her. Um, it's on, I have a, a, a playlist actually. Um, I'm just going to go there because you bought Yeah, go, go. Um, let me just find it quickly. And it's also another anthem of, you know, when you just need that get up and go, when I need that motivation, when I'm not feeling so... Um, Carrie Underwood, the champion. Okay. Carrie with a C? C-A-R-R-I-E, Underwood, the champion. Super. That's amazing. So Those would be my two. Thank you for sharing this. Uh, usually I try to put these musics, if they are available on Instagram, on the story that I make about, um, so you will, you will probably see this, um, uh, at this moment. Another question, um, a belief about which you change your mind in your life. So you used to have a belief and that belief has changed in the course of your life. Wow. So. It's quite powerful. You asked me that, Joe, because I've been doing a lot of work on myself. Um, I would say I didn't believe in myself enough. I, I've always felt I'm never good enough, right? And that stems from, that's another story. Yeah. Um, never being good enough. And maybe that's why I overcompensate the overachieving. But what I want to say in the last year, um, 
probably slightly longer. I have had mantras and I've had a phenomenal lady and another gentleman who have been my coaches, my intuitive healers, my inspiration, my guides, and another family for me who have taught me to peel and deal with my core wounding where I am good enough. I am enough, you know, and I think that if I can be completely brutally honest with you was something that I have struggled with my whole life. Um, but now I am a woman moving with purpose who has her identity and who is confident and will not apologize for her success. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Oh, that makes so much sense. And this is just beautiful to, to listen to. And this is inspiring to, to many of us, I'm sure, because we all think that we're not enough. We all uh, talk down at our, ourselves and think, you're an idiot, you're stupid. How could you do this? And this is so difficult in these moments to um, to cling to something that is telling us, no, um, you know, you are worthy. Yeah. Uh, you are enough. It's very difficult. And I think it's, for me, this is the biggest battle that we all have. The biggest adventure, the biggest challenge that we all have in our life is this is to have a negative self-talk that necessarily happens at times because, you know, we do things that sometimes we regret. Uh, but putting this negative self-talk in perspective is difficult. It is not easy. And uh, um, this, I like to say this love and elegance that we can have towards ourselves mm -hmm. is needed to change the world. Uh, I think we, I know that I am um, very often more elegant and loving towards others than towards myself. A hundred percent. We always find it easier to do it for somebody else. But what I'm learning, and this could be a conversation for us another day, but to share with you briefly, the the new family, again, I have different families. I have the Burn Chef Project, I have the opportunity, yeah. and then I have another intuitive family of intuitive healers who <clears throat> are teaching me healing on another level. And... Um, you know, one of the ladies said to me, you need to get into your bathroom, put on that superwoman pose and speak to yourself. I am a passionate, confident, beautiful woman. And you know, those words sound easy to say to somebody else, but sometimes when you're looking at yourself, it's not always that easy to say to you. And I'm just grateful that I have amazing people who have inspired me to see myself differently. For example, you know, with our weight and your body carries you through so much, right? And one of my friends said to me the other day, she says, stop being so hard on your body. Don't talk to your body like that. Look at what it's got you through in life. Be gentle with yourself. And, you know, it's nice to have people that will nudge you and love you in that way to say, uh-uh, it's okay. Health at every size. It doesn't matter. You know, look, you've been through absolute hell to get to where you are today. Give your body that love it needs. So, for example, sometimes for me, it's a self-care day or a pampering or something. I'm like, I'm doing that for me. And I'm learning. It's something that we have to learn. It's a mindset. But like I've said, I didn't know my identity. I didn't know who I really was. But now I can tell you, it's moving with purpose, moving with more love for myself, hmm. more confidence. And one thing I'd like to say, Joe, and this is something that, has really touched me, um, especially over the last couple of months of people I've worked for. 
and just worked alongside. I've, I've worked with different people, different levels, but you know, they say that they pick up an energy for me. They, they are, they so inspired when they speak to me or they say, I had someone come up to me the other day in the kitchen and this girl just came to hug me and she says, I need to just give you a hug. And I was like, why? She says, because you haven't been here long, but you fight for us. You're a voice. And I just want to say thank you. And you know, for me, that does so much. I can't tell you that I was like, wow, you know, and that's the sort of things that keep me going and keep me motivated to be a better person every day. And to be like, I'm on the right track. If I, with my mental attitude and having my energy vibration at the right vibration every day, I'm impacting people, then that's what I need to do. Right? So it is a journey and it's not easy to get there. It's an every day. And don't get me wrong. Like everybody else, I have good and bad days, right? But no, of course, I mean, uh, but that's, uh, thank God. Thank God life would be so boring otherwise. So uh, uh, the thing is, can we see this as just a, a process? Not Absolutely. as good or bad. This is the way it is. I'm and a work in progress. That's like it. every, and, and you know, um, is it good or bad day? I don't know. Uh, the more I move, Uh, in my life, the more I realized that qualifying things uh, the way I've been doing it, at least for myself so far, is often very questionable. Yeah. Um, but that's me. And this is where I'm standing right now. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I was saying it's not black or white. And I realized the language I'm using is not the language I want to speak anymore. I was, I'm thinking it's a good emotion, a bad emotion. Is it good or bad? I mean, it's maybe just the way it is. And that um, global uh, stopping qualifying things this way probably is opening the door for me to embracing the complexity of who I am. The complexity of uh, of this life that is not all, you know, uh, um, perfect and nice and neat, yeah. but that is also... Uh, sometimes um, a bit more difficult, confronting, uh, challenging. Uh, but thank God it is like this. And maybe by approaching things in a, in a more, um, qualifying things differently, not it's good or it's bad, will help me to see things as just a piece of contribution to, to life, whatever it is. Um, yeah, because it's you. A question that I don't ask. Um, is there a chef you look up to? Yes, there's one chef who, I mean, there's a hundred million chefs that are so amazing, but the man that I respect and admire is Yotamata Lenghi. I've met him. Um, I've eaten in his restaurants. I own all his books. He's, he's a phenomenal, he's, he, he's a phenomenal human being, what he's doing, you know, his movement with food, plants, you know, inspiration. Um, and he's kind, you know, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, but my love for Middle Eastern food obviously came with my journey being out there. But, um, you know, he, he's become somebody that I, I respect and admire, you know, the way he, he handles his teams, the people he works with, the work that he does. I just, you know, I gravitate You're going to be mad at me, but I'm going to ask you to spell uh, the name of this chef. Right. No problem. Let If you get... can, because I, I don't know this chef. Yotamotalenghi? 
Mm-hmm. He is. Jota. Oh, I don't know. He's he's the so it's Y O T A M. Okay. Yeah. O double T. O L. E N. G H I. Okay, Yotam Otolengi. Okay, I will put the I, I will put the link. Thank you so much for taking just the time to spell, and I'm really curious about uh, this gentleman now. So, and and I, I will put, of course, the link and the, the reference. Plant-based books, amazing plant-based books, like just amazing, phenomenal. Yeah, very inspirational. Um, Halima, how how can people? reach out to you i mean you have multiple platforms where you contribute work etc is the best one linkedin is the best one your website linkedin is good too linkedin or my website okay so the website again is uh, tailoredtaste.co.uk and linkedin halima ferreira with double r e i r a ferreira if you wanted to read it literally so um it's been it's been a resourcing uh, uh it's been an energizing conversation for me um i hope that you had a good time no thank you for letting me share my story it means a lot and it means a lot to me uh i am touched by you as a as a person as a chef as a as a, you know as a human being and your story is going to touch a lot of people because um uh, because i don't know <laughs> but i'm sure of this <laughs> inspire at least one person if i can impact one life a day then i've done something. this is the purpose i mean this is the measure that i have given to myself for the podcast is if yeah. one episode touches one person it's worth continuing and this is what keeps me keeps me going so I want from the bottom of my heart, uh, Halima, to thank you for accepting to come on the show, to be the first chef I have on the show. It means the world to me because of what you have chosen to embrace as a career. It means the world to me because of what you are choosing to do, to contribute to um, a change in this uh, profession. Um, and. I can't wait uh, for the day where I can uh, meet you and hug you Absolutely. and thank you for this time that you have offered to me and to, um, and to the people who are going to listen to the podcast. So thank you, Halima. No, thank you for the time. And it's been an honor and a privilege to speak with you, Joe, as always, you know, we always have such amazing conversations and this was super easy and, you know, and I just, um, I'm just grateful, absolutely grateful for the opportunity that this could inspire and maybe help somebody else so um ladies gentlemen and everybody else who's listening to this podcast uh thank you for this uh, generous listening i hope that you enjoyed and uh with joy happiness and good food in perspective i uh, am impatient to see you in the next episode bye-bye 
I'm always humbled when someone listens to a whole episode, so thank you. Thank you for your support. Without you, this show would not exist. If you want to make my podcast more visible to professionals like you, go ahead and share it with at least two connections, rate us five stars, and leave a comment. I am here for you at all times, so don't hesitate to connect with us on LinkedIn, on Eleven, the People Engagement Network, or on my personal profile, Drosejon. I can't wait to see you again on the podcast and send you tons of good vibes wherever you are in this world.